I was sort of starting that career in academics at the same time I was having a young family. And I could see Lowry, my oldest, like you can't say a word to her where she doesn't argue back, even when there's no, like still to this day. And we argue a lot in, a, in what I think is a healthy way, but, but she was like so fierce and my grad students were not, right? They were like these 30 year olds who were like, should I ask for a raise? Where my daughter was just sort of punching us for a cookie. Like she was just really fierce about everything. And so I had the chance to give a TED talk and somebody's like, you should really talk about what it means to mentor women. And so I like had this framework of, I've always said my daughter's this really strong negotiator. The TED talk is three strategies to negotiate, turn into a book deal that was five strategies. And then from there has been this really kind of wild ride the last four years of not only giving this particular keynote on it, but then also doing, you know, trainings on salary negotiation. What's your internal success story? You know, the deep down beliefs you have about how big your life really can be. Is your internal story a big story or is it filled with fear and self-sabotage that keeps you playing small? When you make the decision to play bigger, you're also influencing everyone around you. Playing bigger requires a shift. The shift is what happens when you let go of the self-limiting beliefs that keep you from stepping into your authentic, powerful, beautiful self. It's a shift from the probabilities into the possibilities of your big, amazing life. My favorite conversations are when I get to hear how people shift into playing bigger. This podcast is your invitation to listen to others that have made the shift and also serve as a catalyst to explore the shift needed for you to play bigger. And no, I'm sitting right here cheering you on. Hey there, I'm Tracy Spears, speaker, author, coach, and head cheerleader for anyone trying to play bigger. Today, I'm thrilled to introduce you to someone that is definitely playing big. And I'm going to say this. She said something recently that shifted me to my core. And we're going to unpack that in just a little bit. But first, a little bit about my guest, Dr. Meg Myers-Morgan. Dr. Morgan is an award-winning author, college professor, and certified executive coach. Her latest book, Everything is Negotiable, is a bestseller and has been translated into multiple languages. She's an associate professor at the University of Oklahoma and leads the graduate programs in public administration and nonprofit management on the OU Tulsa campus. She's currently the chair for the Tulsa Mayor's Commission on the Status of Women. I have questions about that. Listen, there's so much to talk to you about, my friend, and I'm asking all of my guests to begin kind of thinking about sitting on a on a front porch somewhere, and we want people to just kind of be just listening in to two friends, have a conversation. <laughs> so where are you sitting right now? Okay, so I'm sitting in my home office, but my home office that we sort of created during the pandemic. So my husband, Jim, and I shared it, but it's actually an enclosed porch of a really old house. So there's no vents in here. So I have like box fans and space heaters, but it's my favorite room in the house because it's where all my creativity is. It's just hot as hell. Uh, and you're really on a porch. I that's Oh my gosh, yes, you're right. You're sitting on my porch with me. I love that. The idea that you said this is your creative space. I heard one time somebody say that if you can do all of your creating in a, in a particular sp- space, whether it's in a room or that that when you start to get super creative, that the energy from you, your creative energy actually stays in the walls and it's why you can plug back in so easily. How about you? Do you that, think that's true? I think that is true. And I'm having like a moment with you saying that of the energy being in the walls, because during the pandemic, when we were on lockdown, the girls would just like run in here and ask a question and run back out. And it was just this adorable, like I have a lot of memories associated with the space us being creative or working on our jobs and our children running in and out asking for homework help. And I remember at the time thinking, this is a snapshot of our life mm. in this room. And so I love that. I hope it's seeping into the walls. Nice. Of I course, when I move, I want to take that because I don't want anyone else <laughs> taking well, that, my... That's why they have housewarming parties. It's to... <laughs> oh, to, oh, right? No, I have never put that together. Oh, that's what housewarming is. It's It's warming up the walls and the energy in the room and filling it with your music and your energy, right? That's beautiful. Isn't it though? I think it rolled the tape. I think we've got enough. I think it's true. I think there's like for me during the pandemic, I thought, you know, we bought a new house. We did like it. Almost everybody did and got this big, beautiful office in the house because that's where I was going to work. And I cannot do anything. Like the first day I was like, okay, I'm going to work from home. I painted a wall, like I just, 
I don't know. I couldn't do it. Are you, or I, I, that's just me. Maybe, Did you but, get to the place where you can work there? No, I still get up and go to the office every day. I have another little place that I go. Well, some people need to be like away from their, their house. That makes sense. And I think to some extent, because this is like a porch, it definitely has a different feel than our house. So it kind of feels like, like you even step down. I don't know if that's as, as helpful as a commute, but I think you don't so. have to put on pants. So I think that's kind of the, the key. Well, I think that's true. And I think when I think about some, like creative pe- people, you're at like the top of the list. I watched and read that, you know, how you were navigating the pandemic. And first of all, thank you for sharing that with us. And I, first of all, I love your writing. Your writing is amazing. When did you know that you were gifted at writing? Oh, gosh, that's very kind. I'm having a, a, a humble moment here. I don't know that I knew when I was gifted. I do know when it started was the third grade. And I wanted to write a book in the third grade. And my third grade English, or not third grade English, third grade elementary school teacher allowed me, this is so nerdy, to stay in from recess and work on this book. And she helped me laminate it and bind it. And then I had to read it to the class. And it was like, that was it. That was what was going to happen. And then I just kept working on it, majored in it in college, just kept kept going. It's always been an extremely important part of my ability to metabolize what's happening in my life. And I think probably around the time Lowry was born and I really started the blog, which is now 11, 12 years old, there was one particular piece I wrote about her. She has a very large birthmark over her left eye. And I wrote a piece about that. And I think that was when I was like, okay, I'm good. Like, like I remember because I remember it meant so much and it elicited such a response from people when I posted it. And it just it felt like a gift to her, but it also felt like the culmination of practice. And so I guess I, I've never reflected on that. So I love that question. But I think that was it where I remember sticking the last line and sitting at my computer and going, hot damn, that was it like that. I, I stuck the landing. Listen, I think you should be saying that every time you post something, it is the way you write. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's hooky and it's sticky and it leaves oh, me wanting more. Sticky. I love that. Do you mind saying more about what that means to you as a reader? I do. I don't mind saying that and I will. It makes me lean in. And when I read it, I don't forget it. And that's the sticky piece of it is like, you know, I'm not just casually going, Oh, that was good. And she's entertaining. I will think about it and I will go, oh, that's exactly the experience I'm, I have had. So it's, it's that. And that leads me to, if you're ready, I want to jump in. I don't know how to tell people that when things are so big for me, I don't know how to convey that. So I'm going to try and I'm going to try to do it as succinctly as possible. We were, you were speaking and I was, you know, in the audience watching you, you were doing your thing. And I want to say this, the last time I watched you speak, which was right before the pandemic, and it was a room full of, I don't know, several hundred women. And I was kind of navigating the day. I was doing kind of the first half of the day and kind of introducing speakers. You were unknown to me at that point. I kind of knew. We we had met once. Yes. Yes. Okay. That's right. But I did not know you as a speaker. I'd read your book ahead of time. So I was excited. And I was like, that was a really good book. You got up on the stage and as a speaker, I spend a lot of energy trying to connect and moving around. I watched you stand still behind the lectern and I mean, just command the audience. Oh, and when you were finished, like I was so blown away by you and your message. And it was at about like 345, if I remember right. And I was supposed to speak until 430. And I remember walking back up there after you walked off and I was like, there's zero chance. I am following this. <laughs> and I ended the meeting early because you were that powerful. So there's that. Just say thank, thank you. you. Thank You're you. You're welcome. And I do want to interject too that I used to walk around. And one time, this is probably maybe the late last year, that wasn't an option. The stage was so small and it wasn't an option that time. But Typically, when I'm hired to keynote, they want me kind of, there's always kind of that huge stage. And so now I, I purposely stand behind the stage for reasons that we will get into, but I do find some power back there. Mm. I do find some power standing still. Mm. Ooh, I want to. So I'm really, I really am glad that, thank you for that. That was very meaningful to me. You're very welcome. And 
you probably are talking about the TED talk that you did, which is, you know, on my bucket list. I'm really just following your lead on everything. I'd love it. Which I, I want to talk about that, but I want to finish the t- the tip of this other thing. So, so I'm in the audience. It's been about a month ago now, and your talk. I want you to tell people what it was about in a moment. But you, do you know the line what I'm talking about, right? You know what I'm about to say. It's on my bulletin board up here. Well, I'm just going to let you do the tee up and then do the line, and then I'll then I'll gush about it. So go tell me what your ta- tell the audience what your talk was about. So the talk at the Women's Summit was five truths and one lie based on this idea that our daughters love the game two truths and a lie. They just learned it. They're eight and 11 and they think it's so funny and we know their whole lives. So they can't like, what if I used to live in Africa? Like they can't say anything that we would be like, oh, so it's really fun to play. And so in prepping for that, I was just reflecting on sort of some truths I had and, and kind of loved that as a framework. And the last truth that I said that I think you're referring to is that lighthouses don't chase boats. Tell me more. For a very long time, I was running up and down that beach trying to flag down every boat, whether that was doing too much or forcing an agenda or wanting everybody to be my audience or people pleasing or whatever the case. I think I said people pleasing twice, but whatever the case may be. And I just had this revelation that that was, well, I don't know if it was a revelation, but I was just exhausted and I really wasn't getting where I wanted to go. And what I learned was that sometimes when you want to get more, you actually need to do less. And so when I can't make stuff work for me, or I can't get the book right, or I can't get the writing right, or I can't, I, my old self would go harder into it. I'll just work harder. And particularly women, that's their, their go-to. I'll just, I'll just work harder. And I had to kind of train myself that, okay, this is a moment I actually have to do nothing or do less, or I'm working too hard, or I'm trying too hard. I think trying too hard was definitely how I was living my life. I just thought, what if I just stood there? And shined and the boats will find me or they won't, but they're definitely not going to find me if I'm running up and down the beach. Oh my gosh. So as someone who's still, that's why that meant so much to me because mm-hmm. I've even said, you know, like I, I have an, I do have an unbelievable amount of energy. I'm gifted yeah. you know, that yeah. I, I love to go. I like, you know, I can sleep when I die. I wake up, you know, moving and I'm moving until I, you know, go, go to sleep. And yet, as I'm aging, there's this part of me that I'm I'm now being more discerning. Like before, it didn't matter. Everybody could have a little of that, you know, energy and whatever. And now I've been trying to make this shift. This podcast is called Shift Out Loud because the idea of making a shift into something that's playing bigger, a shift that, you know, gets you into a better space, more aligned with your gifts with your power. And when you said that, the fact that I'm in this space right now, I'm a fucking lighthouse. Yeah, you well, are. Yeah, you are. <laughs> no, we all are. But like, I oh, no, thought, that needs to be on a t-shirt. Okay. <laughs> but that was what I thought. I thought, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Uh, I have to chase them all. So, so thank you for that because mm-hmm. every day, I have to remind myself I'm a lighthouse. What are you, what, in that moment, what were you reflecting on? How do you chase? What does that look like to you? That's a great question. For me, what that meant was I'm spending my energy in the wrong ways. Like I have acted as if I have an an infinite amount of energy and I really don't. And I also know that, you know, being super fragmented has cost me creatively. Oh, yeah. Like I think, right. So I think that I've been trying to do too much. If you called me and said, I, we need a keynote speaker on, you know, what did I, I'd be like, get, give me a minute. Let me, let me, you know, we'll let Wally and I create that. And right. instead of just saying, yeah, no, I don't do that. Like yeah. just, just being able to say no more, that's filling me up a little bit more. So yeah. Yeah. For you, what did it mean? I think it's the same thing, especially as a keynoter or writer. People are like, well, could like we're like we're some sort of restaurant and they can just order off of, you know, could you make something special in the kitchen? Like that's not. No, I offer these three things. And if and and what I've learned is even the people that I say no to and they get more cleared in what I do, they typically come back later when they need the thing that I have and I can refer to people. And I it's never I always felt like if I said no, then the opportunities would just dry up, which is like an extreme scarcity mindset, which is not helpful if you're trying to play big. Right. Like there's endless opportunities. You're fine. You just have to sit there and let them come 
to you. And I, I mean that it's been a long time for me to get to that place, but I feel very securely in that place now. But what you have and the presence that you have. And I remember at that summit, I came up to you and we were talking about sort of the pandemic. And I was like, I just got back from traveling. I really hate to fly because in my head, I see how much you fly and I think, oh, I could probably do more if I like to travel that much and also, you know, be away from the kids. And you're like, oh, I hate to fly. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you hate to fly and you fly that much? It was like sort of a revelation to me. Like, okay, there must be something driving you because I re- it really, I mean, I'm sure you're the same. It's got to mean something for me to get on a plane. It better be good. The money better be good or the the event better be good. That's true. I will say this. I am on a plane every week. I've been in three days and I I think it's a lot of things. I think people associate, oh, she loves to do that. She she loves to clean. No, I don't love to clean. I love the house to be clean. She loves to travel. I don't necessarily love to travel. I like to be wherever I like to go places. So good. Right? You know, so like, so there, but the travel right now is such a grind with the airlines and all that. And yeah. I now know that's a ship too for me to be able to say, I don't think that one's worth it. So the travel has actually made me raise my price a bit. And yeah. as you know, when you raise your price, then everybody wants you. Like nobody wants a good deal. Right? That's so true. <laughs> and I mean, the thought of of pricing yourself is a little bit chasing boats, right? So you can, because we're in places where people are asking for a price, we're like, how can we meet you where you're at, right? Instead of this is my price. I'm the lighthouse. You can either come to this or not. That's right. That's ha- that's hard. It's super hard, which is yeah. why I don't negotiate my prices, Melissa. I'm like, so <laughs> I'm the worst. Always I'll- put someone else between you and the problem. That's right. I'll get, yeah, I'll get on there and go, well, what's your budget? Okay. Yeah. I can do that. Yeah. No, it's, it's been, yeah, I'm better about it now. I, you'll love this story. Melissa, who is our director of client relations at Exceptional Leaders Lab, give her a shout out and lots of love. And I'm super grateful for that. She is part of our organization, but she, we were on a call with someone one time and that, you know, they started, you know, what's your price? And instead of me doing what I know I'm supposed to do, you know, getting off the call and let Melissa handle that. Shutting the hell up. <laughs> that's right. I stayed on and, and hit this ridiculously low price. They agreed. <laughs> they acted like it was a big deal. We hang out. Well, Melissa calls me like, you know, 10 minutes later and she said, Hey, I just want you to know that I stayed on that call because I was away from the computer, I guess. I don't know how it happened. And they did not hang up. And she said, I want you to know that what they said is, can you believe she's doing it for that low of a price? Uh, what? And so I said, that was it for me. I was yeah. like, lesson learned. Like, yes. I, then the lesson is not to ask rewards to never be the person to coach you. Right. <laughs> so, all right. So back to you. So, so this, so for you, you've had this shift into, you had a, a book hit bestseller and which by the way, I love the tee up. I love the way you wrote it. Everything is negotiable. What was, what was the impetus to that? What made you want to write that book of all the books you could have written? Why? Yeah. That so th- Mentally, so it back to the TED Talk. I mentor a lot of those students at OU, grad students, most of whom are women. And I was sort of starting that career in academics at the same time I was having a like having a young family. And I could see Lowry, my oldest, like you can't say a word to her where she doesn't argue back, even when there's no like still to this day. And we argue a lot in a, in what I think is a healthy way. But but she was like so fierce, and my grad students were not. Right. They were like these 30 year olds who were like, should I ask for a raise where my yeah, where my daughter was just sort of punching us for a cookie? Like she was just really fierce about everything. And so I had the chance to give a TED talk and somebody's like, you should really talk about what it means to mentor women. And so I like had this framework of I've always said my daughter's this really strong negotiator. The TED talk is, you know, three, st- three strategies to negotiate turned into a book deal that was five strategies. And then from there has been this really kind of wild ride the last four years of not only giving this particular keynote on it, but then also doing, you know, trainings on salary negotiation. I led the mayor's pay equity pledge for the Tulsa women's, the Tulsa mayor's commission on the status of women. I've, I mean, I, I've probably worked with two, 300 women on getting higher salaries. Wasn't my intent, but I became super expert at it. And I, I actually have an email sitting in my inbox from a student that's like salary negotiation help. So I kind of became very accidentally the negotiation person all because of my daughter. And people are like, Oh, is she going to get a cut of the book? No, 
No, she's not going to get a cut. I'm just kidding. I'll send her to she's college. Her, she's getting her cut for sure. <laughs> so what do you, so I know this is, but I can't not ask the question. You opened the door. What's the number one thing you want women to know when negotiating? Yeah, a salary? salary. Don't yeah. ever answer the question. What your salary expectations are. Don't ever answer the, answer the question. What do you currently make? There is no value. The company has a budget. So just always say, well, what is budgeted for the role? And I would say that to you, Tracy, if someone, you know, calls up because I've had this experience where they're like, well, we've never put together a budget for a conference. And I'm like, yeah, you have. But I always say, like, what have you budgeted for for the keynote? Right. And so it's there's conversations that are happening before they get to us. And so just be mindful to not to not ever give that information away and put it back on them. So you and I do a lot of executive coaching. I had a young woman two weeks ago and. She did exactly what you said not to do. She yeah. named her price. Yeah. So they asked her, you know, what would it take? And she said, well, I'm currently making X. You know, I wouldn't want to make less. So they offered her a thousand dollars more than that. So when she called me, she's like, well, that's just not enough. And I'm like, you set that up and it's very hard right. once they know, right? To yeah. then renegotiate that. She ended up getting, I think, four thousand dollars more, but you know, she was super nervous to even push back on that number. So what is it? Why? So this is, you know, th this is a shift that some people hear. What is it that keeps us from asking for more? And do you, is your experience that men have that same hesitancy that women do? What do you think? They have the same, not as often, statistically not as often. They will negotiate more, but there's lots of men that don't negotiate. And a lot of the keynotes I've given, I have men come up and then are like, well, I didn't negotiate. I didn't, this isn't a women's issue, right? The three reasons are they don't know they can. So this woman may not have known, like people will get a job offer and they'll say, I don't know if it would be okay for me to negotiate. The second thing is they don't know what to counter back with. And I always say about 10% is like your standard counter back at 10% higher, give or take. And then the final thing is they are worried what people are going to think. They're worried, oh, I'm going to look greedy or ungrateful. And so they just let it go because they cannot sit in the discomfort of somebody else's potential, potential perception of them. Ooh, I potential. love that you're emphasizing. Yeah, that's a... Let me underline that for the audience. We, anytime we think about how someone else might be perceiving us, it's always in the negative. It's always, the, not that they'll think I'm self-possessed or confident or I must be worth it. No, they're going to think I'm greedy. They're going to think I'm ungrateful. And so that piece is much more gendered, I think, because we've been trained to worry about how people perceive us. Women have been trained to be small, whether they really want us to weigh very little, they want us to talk very little, they want us to be very little. So when we ask for more of anything, particularly money, it's like, what are you doing? You're you're playing big and we need you to stay small. And I think that's just ingrained in us from from when we were kids. So how do you shift out of that? So this this is the moment, right? Like yeah. so what is what does that look like? What advice would you give to the listeners that want to shift out of playing small into playing bigger? What does it look like? I think it looks like a longer journey than I love the question. I don't know if I could say here's the answer. I would say it is the single thing I've struggled with the most is what size I'm supposed to play at. The way I was raised my parents were very concerned about any, I have two other siblings, any of us outshining the other one. And so if someone did well, and I think I get their intention, the, the, the impact might have not gone quite how they wanted. It was sort of like when my book came out, I remember it being like, let's not talk too much about it. What? Let's not, let's not be too gushy. And what I thought for a long time growing up was I'm very humble. What it became was sort of debilitating humility, like to the point where if I succeeded at all, I had to do something to shrink or hide. So showing up, playing big, being seen is actually incredibly hard for me and something that I work on really like a lot. And any time that I get success, I'm constantly sort of searching for the other shoe or the criticism or anything like that. And so for me, there's been a lot of therapy and coaching that I've gone through. And I 
I'm not saying I think that's the only way. I just think it it does take a lot of self-reflection and an intentionality around knowing when you feel that desire to shrink. Because you can't just say to somebody, stop shrinking. And you go, oh, okay, that you're right. I it you could say every single thing in the world to me and I'll still feel that, right? And I've got to kind of process that feeling. And so I've just learned at a certain point, I was just so tired of feeling like I didn't know what size to be. Can I can I shine bright? Do I have to play? You know, one of the biggest compliments I get on my writing is I'm really relatable. And that's very important to me. That also means, though, that you can't ever, you never want to seem bigger or less than anyone because you, right? And so there's been this journey for me to figure out what size that looks like, right? What does that look like? Okay. I want to, I want to ask you this question. So if that's the goal, always be relatable and bigger you get, you, there will be people that will not be able to relate to you. Is that the story that you're telling yourself? That's the fit. Yeah. That's the, what I think is probably a lie that I tell me. So one of the things that I really struggle with is how accessible to be, because I think accessibility and relatability, I conflate them. I don't think that they are. But so it would just, it's very hard for me not to respond to every you know direct message or every, right? Like I, I feel, and I have a lot of people that I take care of. I have a lot of students. I have a lot of clients. I have a lot of, and so I carry this stress of not showing up for them, but that sometimes showing up for them means I have to not show up for myself. And so that's, that's, that's where, that's where the work comes in. And that's a shift too, right? That's the, everybody's heard it a million times, put the oxygen mask on. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That isn't easy to do. And for me, that was what the lighthouse, yeah. everything you're saying right now was the lighthouse. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, that the lighthouse set, stays still. And you said, if you want more, do less at the beginning of this. Yeah. That's going to go up on the board for sure. <laughs> I want to be your whole board, Tracy. I, I think you could be. Could you call me every day? And I was in a session recently with a group of women that are they're, they're being tapped on the shoulder by their organizations to play bigger, and they're some of them new to leadership. And we do this section around self-limiting beliefs. So for about fifteen minutes at their tables, I ask them this question: Can you list? at least 20 self-limiting beliefs that you've ever heard other people have. I don't even make them say that they're theirs. And they have 10 minutes to do it. And they always like five or six very quickly. And then there's a lull. And then they end up with like 25 self-limiting beliefs. And it's, I've done this for years. It's, it's mind boggling to me that how easy that list is to form. But what's more powerful in the moment is I actually have them read the lists out loud. So there's 40, 50 women sitting there and one table will read their list. And by the time we get to the last table, everybody is like, you know, sobbing. they're weeping, <laughs> like people are crying. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's always risky as a speaker yeah. to take people there. And yeah. I know I'm going to pull them out of it, as you know, the, the, <laughs> but like I want them to feel of the, the weight of that because you don't feel that weight of those self-limiting beliefs when they're one at a time and they pop up every now and then. But when you hear it collectively and you look around the room and you say, oh my gosh, everybody's having these same things happen. But that is a muscle that you said it's a it's a journey, right? That That is a muscle. And the first thing you have to do is recognize it. So if I were to ask you your biggest self-limiting belief, you kind of just, you kind of said yeah. it yeah. now is how do I stay relatable and still play big? Yeah. Right. And so, well, and, and, and I would also say my definition of big has changed dramatically in the last two, three years. And I think before it would have been very tangible, noticeable, visible accomplishments that could not matter less to me now. And it's much more how I want to feel, how I want to, I want to feel not anxious. I want to feel at peace. I want to feel proud. I want to feel connected. And so I've shifted from what does it look like to what does it feel like? And by that shift, which happened in the pandemic, totally changes how I, what I do and what I'll take on and what I'll say yes to. Cause I'm like, is that going to feel good? No, it's not going to feel good. Like, is that, is that going to look good? Yes. And what I found was most of the things that looked good did not, for me, did not feel good. Oh my gosh. Is <laughs> that a good pause? That's, a, that's. Yeah, I, that's what I love about you. I love you. You're going to make me think differently about that. I don't even consider 
Uh, I'm not saying I'm doing everything for how it looks, but the feeling of that, I do think I'm more in touch with it now than I've ever been, but I think I still have a lot of work to do because I'm a feel one way and act another, like, sure. you know, and yet there's a cost to that. And I love that you use the pandemic to get in touch with that. I'm, you know, I would hope that all of us did a little bit better. You're a known introvert. Is that fair to say? I'm a known introvert. Yeah. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? I have no idea. I, I never okay. know how to answer this question, but okay, I want I thought, people I think you, I'm an introvert. No, <laughs> I thought you told me one time that, or I'm unknown. I'm in a, that you're more of an introvert than you are an extrovert. I'm yes. I, okay. I mean, Sorry I would be that. thrilled if people thought I was an introvert. I think people perceive me as an extreme extrovert. Okay. I don't, I do love being in front of people. I do love the attention of being on stage. I do love being in the classroom, but no, I would, I am just fine being in this disgustingly hot home office all day too. Right. <laughs> so like, I think they call it ambivert, but I don't know. Yes. That's exactly what they call it. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. So I, I worried about the people that were true extroverts yeah. during the pandemic because yeah. I think introverts were like fantastic. We've been waiting for this. <laughs> I worried about extroverts and micromanagers, right? Like the, I, right. I thought, oh, they're, they're hating this whole, you know, idea. And I found, I realized I'm more introverted. Yeah. This would be a surprise. However, when you're on a plane every week, like the minute my wife drops me off at the airport, I, I talk to no one. Yeah. I get on a plane. I have my pods on. I'm reading my books. Yes. I get to my hotel. I have a little dinner down at the bar. I, go to bed. There's no dog. There's nothing. I get on stage for an hour. And so I am talking then and then I'm gone, you know, then I'm off. And then so like, I did not realize how much recovery time. Yes. Travel. And it may be that you and I have to have so much energy. I don't think people could ever relate to how much energy you expend on stage until you do it. You do have to recover, right? It's not, you know, there's this thing where you get good enough, it looks easy. And the easier it looks, the harder it was. The harder, it, you know, the harder it was. That's why it feels so good that you perceived those talks that you saw at the Women's Summit so well, because I worked really hard on those, right? And like, that's, if you worked really hard, it looks like it was easy. And people go, well, this is easy for you. And you go, no, I'm going to need three days of lying on the couch naked, getting over this, right? Like, well, give me a minute. No, for sure. For sure. And I think like our first core values behind my head is be easy to do business with. And so, you know, like when we're like, oh, we don't mind doing that. Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, we'll do that. And like the, you know, of course, my team is like, what is wrong with you? We cannot do that. I was like, Go back though. Why is that your core value? Be easy to do business with. Probably the same reason yours is to be relatable. It's okay. that's a connecting point for me. And it's also, a. am going to rethink it. It's also, I don't want to, okay. I'm going to give you a deep, dark answer. Yeah. It's just the two of us. Nobody will hear this. Nobody uh, will hear this. <laughs> so I'm like 22 and a friend of mine says, what's your biggest fear? And my biggest fear in life was to be somewhere I'm not wanted. And two, if that's your fear, you're easy to do business with. You're in and out. You don't stay too long. So I, so that kind of established for me. And now you're making me think about this kind of that, you know, keep, keep it light, keep it moving. And, you know, what's, what's the saying? Be brief, be brilliant, be gone. Mm. I'm not saying I'm brilliant. I'm saying that's a saying. You are brilliant. <laughs> that I aspire. But, but, but that core value focuses on the client. It doesn't focus on you. And I'm thinking, I, I hate to bring up Kim Kardashian, but if we think about someone who plays big and is successful, no one's running around going, and thank God she's easy to work with, right? Like that's, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that's interesting. I, that may be inadvertently keeping you small. If you're, wow. if you're working to be easy to work with, I, Tracy can be really difficult to work with, but my God, she delivers. Tracy can be really expensive, but who cares? It's worth it. Right. It's like when you go to a really good doctor and they're like, Oh, he was an asshole, but you know, he fixed my elbow. It's like, what you like? We, as long as you give, as long as you deliver and I've never known you not to deliver, I, I think you can be difficult and expensive. Right. What would it, what would it feel like? Because when we talk about limiting beliefs and I love that exercise that you went through, what it does is place the onus on the person, not the system that we're in. And if you're in a system that's saying, I don't want to be left out, and I get that. And so I'm going to be really 
easy for everybody. That's the system, right? Like that, it feels like you could be easy to work with without that being the leading reason that you do things. Mm, I like where this is head. This is a shift. Okay. I'm going to think about this. As I told you, I'll think about this whole thing when we hang up. Thank you. You're going to lie naked on the couch. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> okay. If you don't try it after, I, I, I can't hey, help. Well, you know, <laughs> I have another hang up about that. We won't talk about that. Uh, it's too sweaty I'll, to do that. I'll tell you something that usually comes up in the sessions. And I don't know why this is making me think of it. There was a woman this week that said that her self-limiting belief that pops up is that I'm too much. Oh, yeah. She's been told that. For sure. Yeah. It, I've been I told that. At her and I thought, oh, my gosh, she's she's exactly the right amount. Like she's she's mm-hmm. this personality and she's amazing. And I love the energy she brought to the meeting. And, and she kind of had this fearlessness about her. And when she said that, I could just tell. And I, I, I literally left the front of the room and went right to her and hugged her and intuitively, didn't even think about it. And she, I could tell she was emotional about it. Like, Oh, I feel very seen right now because even though I say it's no big deal, people say I'm too much. You could just tell there is something at the core. And I think we all have that. That's what, why this podcast is so important to me that people, Figure out what is the thing that needs to be shifted. What's the mechanism? What's the lever you're going to pull? You started going to what I love to think about is the ecosystem that you're in. Is your ecosystem making you play small? And if it is, how can you step out of that ecosystem or manipulate your ecosystem so that you start to play bigger? Where where have you done that? When you look at you're you're on some very big stages right now, my friend, and you're probably there's probably going to be people that are like, oh. She's too important. She's, you know, got too much going on. And you have to let that go because that's not about you, but it affects you. Absolutely. And in fact, early on at OU, I was told by somebody high up that other people (laughs) were saying that I was a little too big for my britches. And it, I mean, destroyed me. And I was willing to let that be the truth. Even though at the time that didn't feel true, but I let it be true because I reframe it, reframe it. What was the what was really happening? I was new and young and our program was doing well and that garnered some attention. And like you said, it wasn't about me. It was about other people not feeling like they got attention. That's important. I'm going to pause you for a second. Yeah. The reframe on that. What was the truth? The truth was what? They saw it as a zero-sum game. I was getting attention and they weren't. And more for me is less for them. And again, I have such a deep wound about, oh no, my colleagues are upset. I better go into hiding. And I did. I will. I went into hiding. I, I stopped. Like I remember stopped. I stopped posting on Facebook, which is like, I like I stopped just being out there. Like I was like, oh, I've upset people. Which is insane because if people knew that I was sensitive to that, right? Like I, I wasn't trying to be too big for my bridges. Now that makes me laugh. I'm like, oh, that's so cute. <laughs> but like thinking back about that, I'm like, aw, somebody yeah, would we, have a little tantrum. Like it's okay. But listen. that when you talk about when you would email me about coming on the podcast, I, that is one of the moments where I could look very different if I had allowed that to be the final word on Meg. And I just thought, you know, I mean, now I'm to a place where I'm like, you can think whatever you want to think because the people that are close to me or know me know. I mean, okay, let's actually let's play it out. If it is true, she's too big for her britches. So like, I don't what and then what? Like the world explodes? Like, I don't what is the actual next step of of that? And so that's when I started therapy, coaching, all of those types of things to really get at not only how am I supposed to show up, if how I'm showing up when I'm told I'm too much, I'm too, I was told I was too visible one time. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. Like I don't, but I also wonder if I look for those, right? I look for those comments where if that had hit somebody else who didn't worry about what size they showed up as, they might be like, oh, but for me, it like really impacted me. And I, I had to do a lot of work to get through that. Listen, I think I think it impacts everybody in some way, shape, or form. Everybody that's listening is like, ooh, 
there's this thing. If somebody says it to me, I feel yeah. like I have failed in some way. And yeah. that's what the, the out loud part of this whole thing is. The shift out loud is yeah. I don't give a shit what you think. Yeah. If you don't like it, don't listen. And, yeah. you know, when I think about those, you know, the, the barriers to success and playing bigger, you know, in some way we tether ourselves and to break free of being tethered and to be untethered in some way is scary because you don't know if you're, if you like being anchored to something and you're letting go of that, what are you going to get anchored to? And I'm going to say this, you get anchored to the next level, whatever's next for you. And to play bigger is guess what? There's a whole ecosystem cheering you on, waiting for you to walk through that door. And, and I am, I've been so grateful to be embraced by other bigger ecosystems. And that's been a beautiful surprise for me, as I know it is for you. Like, you told me something super fun. I loved it. I'm going to tell everybody you're going to be mad that I'm going to tell it. But <laughs> Oh, were, shit. This is yeah, what I'm, I'm having an oh shit moment. <laughs> no, it was like when you, you, you had really started to understand how powerful you were as a speaker and owning your kind of swag. And you were like, man, they picked me up on a limo and, you know, like yeah. they pulled out yeah. the red carpet and. You know, like they had green M&Ms in the right. uh, green room or whatever. As I demand. <laughs> I know, I know. And I was like, hell yes, they did. Because yeah. that's who you are. Like, I could see that in you, right? I, I'm, And I'm cheering you on. And I love that for you. But yet I also know internally there's a struggle a little bit with that, you know, that, that playing bigger and you wouldn't, you would never tell that story. So I'm going to tell it. I would never tell that story. What was funny is I got asked to go do a, a a big, this is a big stage. In fact, Mika Kelly from Joe and Mika, she was speaking and then I was speaking after her. So this is a big stage. And that's the, that's what I'm talking about where I showed up and it was like a big deal. And when I tell you what my keynote fee was, because I was like, I don't know, a grand? Like, I didn't know, like, I didn't. <laughs> right. And we're talking, like, the biggest stage, the biggest people. And after that, I was like, oh, oh, no, no, no. This is who I am. And that, it was weird because it's almost as if somebody had to present what it could look like for me to go, oh, this is what it has to look like. And before I even got on the plane, they had written me and tried to book me for three more spots. And I wrote back and I, there was this moment and I was like, like in the airport and I was like, yes, but, and then upped my speaker fee enormously. And they were like, yep, that's fine. And they can, and they, it wasn't even a deal. I'm like, oh, could I double that? So it was this weird thing where like, I almost had to see it. No, I nailed it. And then I could ask for it. I wish I didn't have to have that part first, right? I wish I could just know. I do. I feel like I know now, but that to me was the time where I was like, I was just on stage with like a very massively well-known woman. I was backstage with her getting our hair done. I've arrived. It's mm-hmm. okay. I, I can, I can be okay with this. Even now, my sister's like, and are they picking you up? Are they picking you up in a limo? I'm like, it's an Escalade. Calm down. You're fine. I wonder I, if I can ask for a limo. I love that. <laughs> I don't know. I, you wouldn't. I know that about you. <laughs> I had the greatest experience happen. I'll tell you very quickly. I, this is going to sound braggy, but I'm, I'm just telling you, like, yes, I have flown so many miles. I am one of the concierge key for American Airlines. Have you ever heard of that? And okay. Is that like gone up in the air where you get like a silver engraved yes. card? Okay. Yes. I have the silver card. Oh my God. <laughs> You're I too funny. <laughs> I wish I had it in the camera view. <laughs> and like only Ben Stewart. Yeah. Only Ben Stewart even knows what he's like. I saw that you're a CK. And I was like, what am I? What are you calling me? And I go, Oh, yeah, 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 of course I am. And so what that, let me tell you what that means. So when I land in Dallas and it, I'm going to blow your mind. If there's a tight connection, first of all, there's always somebody waiting for me now with like my name, you know, and I love that. The other day, there was a tight connection and there was a guy standing, not when you get into the airport, but literally off the plane, like when you step onto the breezeway and he was standing there with a sign and like this panic look. And I knew I was going to m- miss my connection. And I go, he goes, Miss Spears. And I go, yes. And he goes, come with me. He whisked me, Meg, down the stairs. Are there hidden tunnels? <laughs> and into an Escalade. And on the DFW airport, I'm in an Escalade driving amongst all of the planes. I'm in the back of the Escalade. There's two guys up front 
on the radio were pulling into your gate and they walked me up the stairs. They carried my carry on bag and I went up the stairs right onto my next plane. What? Now, now that, let me tell you, that is not a woman who gives two shits if she's easy to work with. <laughs> well, that is a woman who is you. being <laughs> driven but, to a plane. I know. I know. It's my, uh, and, and just to keep it real, when I was on my. Stole next, bottles of water from the. Well, the no, the next, <laughs> the next time I flew out of Tulsa, when they call for, you know, con- we'd like to welcome our concierge key to board the plane early. And I went up there. And the woman goes, this is for concierge key. You need to wait. <laughs> <laughs> and humble you right back down. Exactly right. And I was What did like, she think? What does a normal CK look like? It's not me, apparently. I don't, that, it, yeah. And I just like stood there like, I'm humiliated right now because I'm, you know, I marched myself right on up there in the front of the line. And I was like, well, I, I actually am. And she goes, you are not. She didn't just like get into it. She was like, are you sure? So I showed her my phone and then did the thing anyway i got on and of course everybody after is like what is she is she a anyway all right listen i i'm supposed to keep this to 20 minutes not happening with you ever i know that is so crazy no don't make this podcast 20 minutes i'm not going to it was all gold there's nothing i could cut from this there's nothing i want to add this if people want to find you meg myers morgan.com is how they yes. find you yes if they want to read your book it is everything is negotiable they can find that where amazon magic city barnes and noble out to magic city <laughs> yes if you can go to magic city please do and you should and you have a ted talk yes so. that is on my website it is linked on the website all right. Listen. Now tell me friend. about, before we go, tell me about your journey with the TED Talk. What is your, what is your goal? Oh my gosh. To do one. Okay. And now do you mean the main TED stage? I don't know. I want to do the TEDx at the University okay. of Tulsa. Okay. Because I want a friendly audience, you know, of all of my favorite people that will say that was amazing. <laughs> no, I want to do that. But yeah, I think I, I do think I want to do a TED stage. Here's the thing. It's so much pressure. And you knew exactly what you were going to do. I don't know. Do I have an idea worth spreading, first of all? And can I articulate it in 12 minutes? Second of all, like, so, you know, I've got it. That's, you know, the trainer in me is trying to think of what would be something that's new, that would be something that could land in a different way. So those are all my self-limiting beliefs rolled into one. What is, what will that give you? Because I'm, let me be clear. I'm in your corner a thousand percent. What will that give you that you don't have now? Ego, a TED talk. Like that when people say, you don't have a TED talk. Who says that? It would like when they're trying to hire me. Well, just send send us your TED talk. You know, Melissa's always like, we need a TED talk. I mean, she's putting zero pressure on me. Right. Uh, Do you have a recording of you? You have a recording of yourself talking. Yes, I do. And I'm hearing you. Well, (laughs) I want to be clear. I'm not challenging that this is a good goal. I am challenging that when faced one of the speakers, by the way, that I will not say the name, but one of the speakers at the Women's Summit came up to me and was like, I need to write a book. And I was like, okay, why? And and she said, because everyone says I have to have a book. And I was like, see, I feel like, and I said, do you like to write? And she says, I hate to write. And I said, then don't write a book. Like this, you could have the production crew film without the TED right? Like you could create it. You can be bigger than Ted, Tracy, is what I'm trying to say. Like, I don't want you to feel confined by, well, people say that because my guess is that's just, that's just shit people say, right? Like, oh, you need a book or oh, you need a Ted talk. And I, I have had, this is why I had to stop kind of thinking about what it looks like and what it, what it could feel like. Because what if you created something in a sound stage? That was 20 minutes or five minutes or whatever. And people got to see you and you responded back and said, here is my video recording, right? Because here's the thing I've learned. Just because somebody asks you a question doesn't mean you have to answer that question. Do you have a TED talk? Here is my video of my, I think, yes, you have ideas or spreading. You would be great at TED. TED is a, TED is hard, right? Like TED is not, TED is actually not how you speak. It's really even not how I speak. Oh, that's so interesting. You know what I mean? That's really what I'm trying to say to you. Yes. For me to walk out there, and I want to ask you a question, for me to walk out there and stand still, which you found that to be powerful, and I forgot to ask you that, I find that to be like 
oh my gosh, I just want to lay on the floor and go to sleep. Like I, for me to stand still. So, so you figured that out though. You just figured out that's better for you. Is that what happened? I figured out that, that what I was delivering was power enough and that maybe walking around was adding, was me trying to add something like you have to be excited with me, right? Like, but I could just stand there and say it and they'll be excited. I do. I, I like both. I, there's just something about a podium that I find, but what you do, who's better than you? Who's better than you at what you do? So then to put that into, so I did Ted before, before I was where I am. For you to do it now, I think it'd be great. It'd probably, I mean, it'd probably get nice views on YouTube, but it is going to be shifting the way Tracy works to fit into a mold that you've already broken. Oh my gosh. So you could still create a TED talk. You just don't need, you don't need, you don't need the TED stage to do that. But having, having said that, any way that I can be of help, because I, I mean, I remember because you don't get notes. I had 18 minutes and they were like, listen, after 18 minutes, we cut you off. Like I, I mean, hours I rehearsed. We went down to Norman, stayed the night in a hotel. I was up at like 2 a.m. rehearsing. I had, I was doing it in the shower. I mean, yeah. when it was done, I was like, oh God, that, I mean, and that's great. It was in the can. That's great. But. I have learned that that precision and perfection is not the the best part of my keynotes. So thank you. Well, thank you. That's a shift. You do what you want to do. And I think it's a great goal, but you're you're bigger than Ted already. Well, that's the soundbite I'm taking from this. <laughs> I'm a fucking lighthouse and I'm that's bigger what? than Ted. <laughs> and if I want more, do less. This is, yes, that's listen, I don't know if anyone else got anything out of this. but <laughs> You and I grew <laughs> promise me we'll do this again soon yes. and whether people are listening or not listen i i'm i'm so great that people are still with us i want to say this i think this is what playing bigger is like it's finding people like you that can feed back your bullshit and say is that real is that true and it feels too small for you so thank you yeah. For shifting me today, and gosh, I'm I'm going to think a lot about this conversation. So, well, now hang on. I have I have nice things to say to I to you because being in your orbit, being connected to you, knowing you, knowing Rosemary, dear God, has changed me in ways you don't know. And I remember meeting you. I remember somebody saying, "Have you met?" Like, no, not somebody. Lots of people. Have you talked with Tracy Spears? Have you talked? And you were sort of this larger than life idea to me. And you were so kind. You hugged me the first time we met. I was like, oh, this woman is, I like this woman. You you sort of brought me into your fold. You've kept me there. It's been extremely, your, my connection to you is extremely meaningful to me and has helped me. You've put me on stages. You've given me advice. You're a good friend. You're a good person. And that's all I'm going to say about that, Tracy. Are you sure? I mean, there's nothing else. <laughs> Thank you. I'll, I'm going to be gracious. Thank. That's very. <laughs> I appreciate it. So thank you. And yeah. on on that note, to be continued, my friend. All right, you. If you're still here, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate, and review, and then tell all your friends. I want to know what inspired you, what your big takeaways were, and I'm curious, what will you go do because of what you heard today? How will you shift out loud? Let's do it again soon.